Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. This is a wonderful season and it's an honor to be able to share with you God's Word and uh, see you guys um, this morning. Uh, the first time I told my wife Katie um, that I love her, I was in Mexico. Uh, she was in Minnesota. I had, uh, was working with a youth group and I was on a mission trip. We, we'd hit it off right away. We'd met each other for like two months. It was like a whirlwind of young love and uh, being apart from her was, was torturous. Uh, maybe you've, you've had that, those kind of relationships. Well, one day we had a break from our mission stuff. I was at my duties and so I wandered down this road for a phone and had a calling card in my pocket. Do you guys remember the calling cards before, you know? I think there were cell phones, but, you know, we're, we're in a different country. It's a 1-800 number, and then there's a super-digit passcode. And then carefully I dial the number because I don't want to make a mistake. You know, you, you only got so much time on these cards. And, and we talked for a while. We, I got a hold of her. She answered the phone, and we probably discussed food or whatever's going on in our lives. She's a big sports fan, and I'm doing all this crazy stuff in Mexico. And, and uh, eventually we got interrupted. And maybe you've been interrupted before. You have one minute remaining. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I don't say I love you. Now, I, you know, I, I love pizza. I love, you know, you know, warm weather, the sunshine. You know, I love a lot of things. But I didn't want to say I love a person like my Katie until I really knew and I, and, and I wanted to take, make that special. So I'm like, should I say this or not? Um, and I'm getting nervous and the time is running out because you have one minute. It's like a NASCAR race, okay? We only got so much time. I'm, my throat's drying up. My heart's beating like, you know, a drum. And uh, she's in the middle of saying something. It's like 30 seconds. It's like, how do you interrupt a person, you know, to say this meaningful thing, to say goodbye? And I'm getting nervous. Okay, I'm going to do it. I got like 10 seconds. And so I, I get my gumption up. I'm going to say this. And I'm like, all right, I got to go goodbye. Katie, I love, and they dial tone. I didn't quite spit it out. And I was like, what? And then, what did she hear? You know, did she, did she get the message? And uh, I walked back and I wondered, and it was that awkward, you know, when you see her the first time, like, uh, does she, did she reciprocate? You know, does she, did she hear me? I could pretend like I never said anything. Um, and the, the reason I, I bring, we laugh about this uh, still today, but the reason I bring this up is in this Christmas season, God's communicating something to us, to us and he's not getting interrupted. And he's communicating something that didn't get stopped or break down in the, in, in the communication. He's, we talked about love, we've, ta- we've talked about hope and peace and joy, the, these Advent themes, but today we're going to talk about love. And he communicated it perfectly. Uh, he sent Jesus as his son to earth to communicate his love to us. And he did it perfectly. Jesus is, as Justin said in our announcements, he's the, the greatest gift. He is so amazing. And I think it's too often we forget. So this is a great time for us seasonally to remember that in, sending his, in God sending his son. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in 1 John. So turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse, verses 7 through 12. I'm going to have John come up here, and we've been standing in honor of God's word. So if you stand 
uh, with me if you can. If you can't, that's okay. Uh, stand with me as John reads verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, this love is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Thanks, John. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is light and life for us. Um, help us now as we explore it. Open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear you. Open our, our minds to know you. May we experience you through the power of the Holy Spirit in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is a little more topical. Uh, as Justin was saying, we're, we, we go to the Bible. But this Bible, the, the, this Bible passage is going to be the foundation for us as we move forward in understanding how do we experience God's love? How do we know God's love during this season? Tradition and scholars tell us a little bit about who John is. Who is this, this author? Of, he has written three letters, uh, and he is the last remaining apostle. He wrote the biography of Jesus called John, um, and the last book in the Bible, Revelation. Uh, it, it, all all these, this work, if you take his words and you total them all up, it adds to about 20% of the New Testament, so he's third behind Paul and Luke. The themes of his letter are love and truth and life and eternal life and abiding in Jesus. The, the Bible and early historians tell us a little bit more about him if, as we read about John. John is a brother of James, who uh, we know in the Bible, and, and they're sons of Zebedee. Jesus gives them a nickname, the Sons of Thunder. At one point, they, they go to Jesus, and some people were not receiving him well. So they said, should we call down like fire from heaven? And he's like, no, no, uh, that's not what we're about. Uh, so there's, there's something there with them. They're fishermen by trade. And they have a team of fishermen with them. There's, there's Peter and his brother Andrew. And actually the father, Zebedee, Mr. Zebedee himself was a fisherman. That's how they, we first hear about them in one of the gospel accounts. Um, John was known as the Beloved. We see that again and again and again in the Gospel of John. He, as tradition says, he became a pastor in Ephesus. And opponents didn't like his message. And like most of the apostles, they faced martyrdom. And they tried to kill him and silence him by throwing him in a pot of boiling oil. Uh, but miraculously, he survived. And they still wanted to silence him, so they sent him off to the, the mining island of Patmos, and there they couldn't stop him, but they allowed him at least to write the book of Revelation. And for whatever reason, they released him at one point, and he was, went back to what is, we know now as modern-day Turkey, and there he died of natural causes and was the only apostle to die of natural causes. John wrote 
with the purpose that people would know God's love and that we would love each other. He wanted us to know the truth and know that Jesus came in the flesh. He wasn't an alien. He wasn't an apparition. It's not a a hoax, a money-making scheme. This is the real thing that he experienced, and he wants them to experience spiritually. He wants them to embrace the Christian faith, to persevere in the faith in the midst of all the trials that we face. So this passage, we talked about the structure in our Sunday school. I, I, I broke it down in, in my studies into three sections. So if you're taking notes, here are the sections that I saw. Um, verses 7 to 8, verses 9 and 10, and verse 11 and 12. 7 and 8 are a call and a reason to love. And 9 and 10 are the definition of love, and verses 11 and 12 is the call and reason to love again with its result. With its result. And this structure helps us understand, what's he getting at? We, we, go, we, we work at trying to understand the structure because we want to hear what is he saying to his people so we hear what he says to us. And he has a heart for us to love. He has a heart for us to love each other. And that raises the question, why? Why should we love another? And he answers that question very clearly in a number of the verses. And so we'll begin near the end. We'll begin at verse 11 and work our way backwards. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 11. What does it say? Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So why do we love? What does that say? We love because God loved us. We love because God loved us. Now, someone could ask, you know, if you want to really dig down into definitions, and I'm, I'm doing a Bible study in the senior center just up the street here uh, with some friends. Half of the friends are from our church, uh, and, and half are just different people from different places. And one of the guys, one of Queens, is like, going back to the definitions. What do we mean by this? What do we mean by this? And one of the questions is, what do we mean by love? What do we mean by love? What do we mean by God? And John is going to help us in define what he's saying as we look at this more closely. So let's work our way backwards. Let's go to verses 7 and 8. Look at verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for, here's a reason, love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. So as we talk about definitions and try to understand what we're talking about here, what is John talking about? We get a picture of who God is. Who is God? God is love. Now I find that kind of fascinating because it's not the other way around. Not that love is God. Not everything we love is God. But God is love. He is ontologically, in essence, who he is, he is love. In addition, Scripture says a lot more about who he is. It's not just who he is. It's not, he's not limited to this one quality. What else is God? You remember? you remember some of the other things that you read in Scripture, what else he is? He is holy. He is just. He is jealous. That, that's a loving, you know, they uh, as a lover is jealous for the love of, of another. He doesn't want that another person to interfere with that love. He is perfect. He is spirit. 
He is good and strong and wise and kind. So what does John mean by he is love? Well, love is, is more than emotion and a warm, fuzzy feeling. We can go to other verses to unpack this quality of love and the definition and trying to define love. This is from Paul. Um, and I think it's helpful for us to understand what John's thinking about and love. Look at what, what passage would you go to if you want to know more about love? John 3.16, we're going to go there. Corinthians, we are going to go there right now. We'll go to John 3.16 in a minute. All right, 1 John, or 1 Corinthians verse 13, chapter 13, verse 4. This is it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't... Re- Joyce at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So from this understanding of love, we see it's, it's active. We not only see it's active, it's also very relational. Love is active and relational. And so as we try to understand love, as we try to understand God in, this, in who he is, how is he, this is a, a more of a philosophical direction in this, how is he loving prior to creating? How can he always be loving? We believe God doesn't change. It's not like he's loving now and down the road we, we'll have to worry. Maybe he won't be loving down the, in, you know, in a millennium from now or a, a million years from now. No, he was always loving. He is by nature loving. So how is he loving outside of his creation prior to our existence. He existed, this is the answer, he existed in community within the Trinity. And so he is able to express this love in, commu- in community uh, b- between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is categorically, definitionally loving. He always has been and always will be, and that is really good news. But it raises a question for us, and First John's going to answer it. How do we experience that? You see, you have these abstract thoughts. We can get into philosophy, but how do we really tangibly experience the love of God? And verse 9, I think, helps us. It says this, and we'll go to first. Uh, Ed, we'll get to uh, uh, John three sixteen. But first, John chapter four verse nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world. He sent Jesus, and so we hear the echo of John three sixteen, which says, "For God so the world that He gave His only Son." And so this gift that we celebrate in the nativity in this, in this Christmas is a tangible reminder of his affection for us. How does God love us? He sent Jesus. God so loved the world and, and he still loves the world. He loves people from every continent, every language, every color, every shape. He, he loves men and women and young and old and uh, rich and poor 
He fashioned people in his image. There's no other creation that, that he said is very good. He made us in his image and he loves us. First John tells us he expressed this affection in sending his son Jesus. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to send Jesus. He doesn't need us. Uh, when I was in college, there's a movie with Tom, with Tom Cruise. And I, I like Tom Cruise's uh, movies, his acting. And there's one where uh, you might, you might have seen it, might not have. Uh, and he, he goes up to this gal he's in love with. And she, he's like, you complete me. You might remember that line. You, he, he needed her. And he expressed his affection. God expresses his affection to us, but he doesn't need us. He's not a contingent being where we complete something that's lacking in him. He is complete in himself. He was and is and always will be perfect. Um, And he could have, at the moment that humanity rebelled in the Garden of Eden, he could have said, no, we're done. But instead, he began his plan in Genesis 3.15. We talked about it last year and reversing the curse. And we talk about it every week. He made a plan, um, before, and, he, and he had his plan actually before all time to redeem his people, uh, knowing this would happen. But we see the plan revealed in Genesis 3.15. And it's prophesied that a son would come. Well, couldn't he send an angel? No, it was going to be a, a human. Well, does the Bible say he has other, I mean, are there other sons and daughters? No, if you go from beginning to end of the Bible, there are no other sons and daughters. 1 John talks about the only son. Monogenes is the Greek word, and John, every time he uses this word, it's to refer to Jesus. If we look elsewhere in Scripture, it's used, I think, six times. It's referring to an only child. Jesus is the only one. You think about, like, substitutes, substitute teachers. You know, we uh, at New Buffalo School, some of you guys go to New Buffalo. You get a substitute teacher, and let's say, let's say your teacher is sick. They're, they have to go on leave for a, a period of time. They're not going to put a turtle in place of a teacher with a lesson plan and think that things are going to work. You're not gonna, kids aren't going to behave. You can't use a mannequin. There needs to be a proper substitute. So who's going to be the substitute for me? Who's going to take my place and, and my sin? Who is going to give me his perfect righteousness? A, su- a substitute has to be the appropriate substitute. Now you might think, well, could, you know, aren't we all children of God? Isn't the Bible say we're children of God? And there's some truth there. We're children of God, but it's only by adoption through faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus had the perfect ability. Where we don't have the ancestry, we don't have the ability, the perfect track record, he was perfect in every way. He was blameless. He was tempted in every way, the Bible says, yet without sin. And so this baby grows up to be this perfect person to take our place. God is holy and, and is looking for holiness and righteousness. And apart from him, we are unrighteous. In, we mentioned this in Sunday school, in Exodus 33, verse 20. Moses has been following the Lord. He has this relationship with God, this really beautiful relationship. God has reached into his life and talked to him and said, I'm going to use you. And he's like, I want to see you. And God says in Exodus 33:20, 20, no one can see me and live. There's this barrier between God and man that he is going to write, he's going to break down this barrier that was created in the garden with sin 
And this barrier is going to be broken, and it's going to come through a substitute. And that substitute is his one and only son, Jesus. You know, if we were righteous, we could only make the exchange for one person. But Jesus is infinitely righteous. And so he is able to, as a human, take a human's place. And as God, he's able to take all humans' place who repent of their sins and trust in him. He, He can pay for the imperfection of the world. He can bear the infinite offense. And so God shows his love by sending his only son, Jesus. Jesus' love brings, Jesus' birth brings love to earth. 1 John 4, 9 goes on to tell us how this love gets expressed. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son, there's that word, monogonase, only son into the world. Why? So that we might live through him. Jesus said during his ministry that he was life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's life. In John 10.10, I I love John 10.10. It says, "I, I came that they, that you, might have life more abundantly. And we run all over the world looking for life. We're looking for life in so many different things, at least I am. And, and there's so many good things, so many good gifts from the Father above. Food, we were talking about food this morning. I love pastries. I love food. I love all types of food. He gives us clothes and video games and entertainment and gadgets and relationships and promotions and vacations and achievements and, and goals and dreams. There's so many good things. And all these gifts in life. However, all these gifts in life pale in comparison to the giver. And they are poor substitutes to him. Only he can deliver life forever. Uh, Buried in our hearts. I, I think buried in our hearts is a yearning, a longing for eternity. Ecclesiastes says something like that. We long for we long for love and acceptance and control for peace and comfort and, and relationship. Inside our hearts is also a, a, a tendency towards darkness, like moths are attracted to flames, we are attracted, attracted to temptation. We're a mixture of right and wrong, good and evil, rebel and saint, and our sinful nature inherited through Adam and Eve leaves, can leave us with a, just an icky feeling. And I don't know if you felt that, you're like, ugh, that wasn't right. I screwed up there, made a mistake, I shouldn't have done that. You feel, we naturally feel guilt and shame, and the end of which, the Bible says, is death. We can remove that sin, we, we can't remove that stain and sin through just going through the motions, through churchy practices or rigor or just ignoring it. I think the Lord allows us through conscience to be aware of this, this error in, inside us. Adam and Eve try to, find life in themselves and try to protect, fix their own situation, what do they do? Do you remember? They made some clothes. They hid. Did it work? No. God saw them. God saw them. He's like, what'd you do? And God sees us all. I think if we were to say, okay, 
if we were to be honest with ourselves and we were to get a documentary made about our lives, maybe kind of boring for, you know, we're not the you know, prince of this or princess of that, you know, but they do a documentary and they subtitle all our thoughts. Whoa! And they capture everything. I would want to be honestly shrunk down to the size of a stink bug and squashed. Like it would, I would not want to be around you if you were watching that show. Um, and I don't know if you're like me, but uh, I, I think this is kind of the nature of who we are. But I think it's helpful for us to, to, to hold on to a little bit of that sense of shame or guilt. And not too much, right? But I mean, just enough where it's like this honest re- assessment of who I am before God. But then to grab hold as like a lifeline, like a life preserver, what First John is telling us. Like this is where our hope is. This is what life Jesus is really talking about. This is where our hope and peace and joy and love is. So as we read scripture, one discipline we can do after we've studied it, right? We've studied it or whatever, we, we, we've dug into it. One discipline is to read it as a letter to you. This is written to you. So listen to this. Listen to 1 John as if it's to you. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, among here of Converge that God sent his only son into the world so that I might live through him? You might live through him. You might really live through him. God loves you. Just let that sink in. Let that sink in down to your shoes. God loves you. His birth is a tangible marker of his affection for you. And he wants you to have life abundant life, way better life than you can find in just isolating in you know, one great thing he's given you, one gift he's given you, in himself. He is so good. Too often I think we can sidestep his goodness, sidestep his benefits, and get focused on those gifts, or those gifts I want, or those gifts I should have had. And we forget the big picture. What's the big picture? You know, we think about first world problems. We've got a sin, human, entire, entire world problem. And we've got a solution that far exceeds anything else the world can offer. And that is Jesus. This gift that God ex- shared with us at one Christmas a long time ago. Um, he is what we need. He loves us and offers us a gift like, unlike anything else. And when we embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior and decide to follow him, we can find a life that is far more saturated with joy and peace and hope and love than trying to pick our own path. Choose our own adventure. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to have battles. doesn't mean we're going to like everybody. doesn't mean we're going to not be persecuted. doesn't mean we're not going to be tempted. doesn't mean we're not going to struggle with health issues. Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this world you're going to have trouble. But guess what? Take heart. I've overcome the world. God's word is true. It's at anchor. It's at lifeline. And his love is real in the good and the bad. The life God offers goes beyond this one and he offers us eternal life. The Bible contrasts that with eternal death. There is a reality. If you've ever been to a funeral and you see someone's body, you're like, that's not them. There's more there. 
We have a soul, our, we are meant to live forever. And he offers us eternal life as opposed to eternal death. Eternal bliss, increasing bliss, rather than sorrow, pain, and death perpetually. The Bible teaches that God desires none to perish and experience his judgment. And through his Son, we find escape. Look at verse 10 of John chapter 4. And hear your name read into this. In this is love. Not that you have loved God, friends, but that he loved you and sent his son to be a propitiation for your sins. Some versions say atonement, atoning sacrifice. Those are churchy words. What does he mean? It's, it's a substitute. He's taking your sin. God is taking your sin. How? He paid for it. He paid for it on the, the cross. John 3.16, here it is, as we into in 17, says this, For God so loved the world, remember, He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Why did He send His Son into the world, friends? But in order that the world might be saved through Him. Out of the very nature and heart of God, he expresses his love to you through sending his son, Jesus. He did that for your sins. He did that to save you and give you eternal life. Not only does he remove his, our sins, but he gives us his perfect track record, his blameless track record through faith in Jesus and what he has done. God considers us right with him. We no longer have to fear the wrath, the anger, the judgment, the punishment. No, it's all gone. Satan can do his accusing. He can accuse all he wants, but Jesus paid for our sins. And that is an amazing truth that we celebrate and we revel in, that we can find peace and joy and hope and love. Romans 5.8 says, oh, this is, how do we demonstrate, how does God demonstrate his love for us? He shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for you. And while you're still sinners, while you still sinned, he died for you. That's good news. We're not cut off. He wasn't interrupted or disconnected. His love is not going to run dry. It won't, he won't run out on us. There are no strings attached to his love. He's not manipulating us. He's not deceiving us. He's not abusive. He's not a tyrant, a demon, or a dictator. He's not stingy. No, he is generous. He is, we sing this song every once in a while, generous king. He is a generous king. He is patient. He is humble. He is kind. And he is persistent. His love is greater than any earthly example. Think about an earthly example of love. Who's the most loving person you know? And then you multiply that exponentially, that is God's love for you. In fact, his, his love is so strong and so powerful, it pales any natural force that you can imagine. His love is so strong. He suffered hell to win you over. And Jesus tells a story, I'm going to paraphrase it, of a, a father and a son. He's got two sons. 
And this one son, the rebellious son, he knows his dad's rich. And he wants his inheritance so he can do whatever he wants to do. Give me my inheritance. That's an insult to his dad. It's treating him like he doesn't exist. Does, it shouldn't exist. It should be dead. And he goes off, runs into a faraway land, and does whatever he wants to do. And it's not what his dad wants him to do. It's not what his people do. It's not how he should do, live his life. He rejects his past. What does the father do? Jesus tells a story of the father every day. He's, he's looking out a window, a proverbial window. He's waiting for that son to turn around. He's waiting and waiting and waiting. And that son, he lives his life, and one day he hits rock bottom. He'd had enough of living in a dump and living like a tramp. He thinks his dad could still get him a job. His dad could till, might take him back. So he picks up his things and he starts hiking home. What does his dad do when he wakes up that morning longing for that son to come back and sees his son on the horizon? He runs to him. He gathers up his robe and he runs after his son. Now is he building up this lecture you know, I told you so. Before his son could spit out whatever offer he's trying to make and deal he's trying to cut, the dad jumps into something and saying, hey, here's my robe. Take my ring. You're not going to be a slave or an employee. No, you're my son. Let's throw a party. Let's kill the fatted calf. The loss is found. The dead's alive. My son is home. I picture him looking straight in the eyes, just tears streaming down. And, and I know enough of people at, that there are parents and grandparents that have those, those kids that just straight away, and this kid's coming back. And if you know the heart of a parent, it's just huge for their children. And God's love is like that for you. It's even greater than that for you. I don't care what you've done. God looks down from heaven as the father looks towards that prodigal. He is waiting for children to turn from their sin and trust in him and him alone. He's wanting all to follow him and none to perish. And he just loves the world. How do we know that? He sent his son. Maybe, there, maybe you're there and you're, you, you would long for this love, but you're just like, I am not worthy of that. You don't know what I've done. He does and it's not good. Now here's a secret. Don't take this the wrong way. You and I aren't worthy, but someone is. His son, who is our substitute, that's why he came. If you were, he wouldn't need to come. He came to die for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins. He chose this for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. For our sake, for your sake, he made God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. Why? So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You might be the righteousness of God. And so you have a gift this Christmas that far exceeds anything underneath the tree. You have the Son who has given us his love, the Father's love in the Son. You have righteousness that you can't merit or muster on your own. You have a peace that passes all understanding. 
a peace with God that isn't something that you could concoct, and a joy that is deeper in the midst of trials that lasts, and and a hope for eternity. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let's embrace this. Some of us know this and we just forget. We get caught up and we think about the, the little, little, little things that bother us, the little thorns in our flesh, and we make mountains out of molehills. And we need to remember the gifts of Christmas. These wonderful Advent blessings, the, the, the love of, of God, the hope and peace and joy he offers us. We need to remember this. God is the initiator who did what we could not do in sending his son. He died for us knowing that we are going, we did, and as we sin, we do reject him in a way, and, and we come back and ask for forgiveness. For some, it, it, we, we, we forget, and we think we're better than we are, and some of us think we're worse than God can handle, and 1 John 1, 8 and 9 is so good. It kind of covers the gamut of those who have got a really high view of themselves and those who have a really low view of themselves and in a high view of themselves kind of way. Look at 1 John 1, 8 and 9. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. Yet if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's just take a moment to be honest with the Lord and just share how we failed this week, how we've sinned this week. So I'm just cl- let's close our eyes and just think about that for a moment and confess, just tell God what we've done. He knows it. Let's just be honest with him for a moment. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Amen. If we confess our sins, if you've confessed your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if we know this gift of love, what should we do? First John would just encourage us. This passage would encourage us. John would encourage us. God would encourage us. Let's love one another. In this season, we have this gift, and it's one of those ones we don't want to keep to ourselves. We want to share it. And one way we can share it is to love, to love each other, to put aside petty differences and to express God's love for us through loving our brothers and sisters. How do we do that? 2 Corinthians 5.14 says the love of Christ controls us. So as we come to Christmas here, let's, let's look at remembering his love for us and expressing his love toward others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your love is a a gift that we can experience. We can experience cognitively in our heads, but we can also experience in our hearts. We can experience it through celebrations and traditions and through reminders and uh, song and prayer. I pray that your love would grow in us, that this would be a community, Converge Community Church would be a community where love grows exponentially and abounds and rolls out into the neighborhoods.
in our, in our schools and our, uh, our workplaces and in our homes, and that they would know we're Christians by our love. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to switch things up a little bit here just because I think, uh, Aiden, if you want to look, awesome, you're the man. Um, I just think that story of the prodigal is so helpful as we contemplate and attempt to fully appreciate the weight of God's love and what it means for us as sinners. Um, So there's this song called The Prodigal, which we'll sing now. Um, If you don't know it, that's okay. You can just kind of reflect and listen to the words, and I encourage you as you listen, uh, um, don't think of someone else. Think of yourself. We, we are the prodigal children, and God has been immeasurably kind to us. Such faith. 
stand as we as we close. this benediction and if you'd like prayer Dave do a bit front here love to pray with you
This is from Ephesians. May you, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in this church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in his love. You're dismissed. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.